They didn't realize we were seeds. They didn't realize you were seeds. They open doors so others can walk through them. Your legacy is every life you have ever touched. I'm Stella Sagliari and this is Salt the Podcast. Welcome to Salt the Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. My guest today is Crystal Letcher. Crystal was born and raised in the Netherlands, where she studied tour guiding and worked as a history teacher. Then she fell in love with a Palestinian and moved to Palestine. She lives in Beit Safafa, a town between Jerusalem and Bethlehem, and her home is between the Green Line, the demarcation line between Israel and the West Bank, and the wall that Israel built. She's the mother of Louisa and Hardy and is studying the tour guide program at the Bethlehem Bible College to become a local tour guide. Since the pandemic, there is no more tourism in Palestine. That is why Crystal decided to launch Stories from Palestine, her own podcast where she takes us on a virtual tour, shares stories about Palestine's history, its heritage, its nature, and her own life experiences. In this episode called Palestine, I am from there, we speak about life in Palestine, military occupation, checkpoints, settler colonialism, Crystal's podcast, poetry, and lots of history. Welcome, Crystal, to Salt the Podcast. I'm very happy you that very uh, you're here with us today, and I'm looking forward to talking to you. Yeah, me too, absolutely. Thank you. So yeah, the first question is really, who are you? Like, introduce yourself to the audience, share a little bit with us about yourself, your journey. Yes. I, I am Dutch and uh, I'm very jealous that you are in my country <laughs> right now. <laughs> I left my country when I was 29. I first came to Palestine and I uh, really moved here when I was 35 and I got married and I have two children and we live here in East Jerusalem. So I haven't been to Holland since a year and a half because of COVID, because of the pandemic. And now we we booked flights. So in a in two weeks, we are hoping to be uh, in yes. Holland. Because I miss it very much. Yeah, <laughs> My life changed a lot living here. Yeah, I come from a, a very uh, normal family, Christian family in uh, Utrecht, in around uh, Utrecht city. And I grew up in a, I think, normal middle class, uh, quite privileged family. I had a chance to study and have a good education and i i think my family they were not never really socially or politically very active even though they were always good with other people but i really when i was in my early 20s and i was studying the tour guide program in amsterdam i really got involved with some people who were very active in activism against war and for social justice and in the squatters movement also in utrecht And that really changed my life and who I was. I was vegan for a few years in that time. And um, I learned, I got to know a lot of international activists from around the world. And that has made me a person. And I think that's also, I had it by nature, that I was very against racism, discrimination. And when I saw that there was injustice, I really wanted to step up and do something about it. And 
then I, I, I finished my studies for tour guide and I also took courses to become a qualified history teacher. So I did those both. And I, I worked as a tour guide and as a teacher in, uh, in Holland. And I worked for some time in Utrecht Kanalen Eiland, which is a place where a lot of immigrants live, a lot of refugees, and a lot of children who themselves, they don't feel immigrants because they're born in Holland, but their families came mainly from Morocco and Turkey. And uh, a lot of the students there, they, they felt that they were not completely accepted by the society. Or, yeah, I felt really sorry for them to have like these... Uh, problems with identity. And so I started traveling to their countries because I wanted to know more about Turkey and about Morocco. And that's also when I decided to go to Palestine for the first time. And I was 29 at that time in 2006. And um, I went on a trip to help Palestinian farmers in the olive harvest. And it was very interesting because our help was not just volunteer help for people who can't, I don't know, do it themselves. Our presence was protective presence so that they wouldn't be attacked by Israeli military or Israeli settlers, like the, the more radical settlers. And I learned a lot of things in that week. Uh, we traveled a bit around the West Bank in East Jerusalem. And that made me realize that I wanted to stay longer and have more chance to understand what is really happening in the region. And eventually I ended up doing volunteer work, even getting a paid job with the Olive Tree campaign. And in one of those trips, I met my husband. And that is how I ended up living here and, uh, yeah, and growing my two children in Palestine. Yes, yes. And you've been there now for seven years, right? Or more? Yeah. Yeah. I always say I, I, I was coming and going since 2006, but in 2000. But in 2013, we got married. And since then, I've been here. Yeah, that is already, that's already eight years. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, that's a, a long time. Yes, yes. That's a beautiful introduction. Very nice. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, sometimes when I hear myself talking about my life, I, I'm surprised because I never thought, I remember one day when we when i was maybe 12 13 and we had a church meeting and there was somebody there who was you know they went to africa or other countries to preach the gospel something that i now really i'm not really in favor of this but okay they also did good work and i remember thinking in that time i'm uh, not that religious anymore now but at that time i was a child and think oh please, God, I hope you don't have a plan with me that I have to move to another country. <laughs> and in the end, you know, God has its own ways. And let's say life has its own ways. And my path is here. And I had, um, I did a mindfulness meditation course a year and a half ago. And we did a lot of um, yoga and meditation. And I had a very spiritual experience at some point where I connected to what they call inner warrior and my inner warrior was very, very visible, clearly for me, native person. I say native because he was so rooted in the land. And he told me, you are on your path and there are no obstacles. Wow. Then I envisioned it. I'm walking on my path. And even when things happen, because life in Palestine, not always easy, 
But when I now I don't see them as an obstacle on my road. I see them as a something that happened beside the road, and I'm mm. going my path and I'm looking at it. I'm like, okay, that was that's difficult, but it's not an obstacle for me to stay here because I've had my moments where I doubted whether should I stay here, should I go back to Holland, what's best for me, what's best for my children. But yeah, that was something that uh, I, I connected to my inner core or my inner self. And I know that this is this is where I'm supposed to be. Nice. Very nice. Very powerful, actually. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And Crystal, um, actually, maybe also for the audience, nice to hear how I, I found you or how we found each other, because you also yeah. have a podcast called Stories from Palestine. And I remember one day I was in the Facebook group of She Podcasts and somebody asked a question. And you answered, and I saw Palestine. I was like, what? There's a podcast about Palestine. Who is this woman? So I <laughs> went on your page. I found your Instagram, and I started following you. And um, I knew one day I will ask you if you're going to be on my show. So I did it like two weeks ago. So, yeah, it would be nice if you tell the audience actually about your podcast story from Stories from Palestine. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it Stories from Palestine started in August and is really a result of the COVID pandemic because I started studying the tour guide program here at the Bethlehem Bible College. We live close to Bethlehem, uh, which most people will know from the Bible story of the birth of Jesus. And that's an actual town where actual Palestinians live. And a lot of people, when they come, they are so surprised to find that there are Palestinian Christians. Yeah. And I tell them, well, they are the first Christians And their families have been Christians for 2000 years. So it's not so strange. They didn't convert. They have been Christians all the time. And so there is a college where you can study the tour guide program. And I, I said, I, I'm a tour guide. I don't have the qualification to be working as a tour guide here. So I want to just do that studies. And I was studying. And then I realized with the pandemic that there's not going to be any tourists anytime soon. And that also means I will not be able to practice And I know from my experience that you can study a lot of information, but you need to be able to make it into a story that people want to listen to. So how am I going to practice? And I was practicing a little bit on my fellow students by recording stories and then sending it to them. And then I said, oh, it would be nice if other people would also be able to listen to these stories. And I don't know from where I... I wasn't a podcast listener myself. I had to figure out the whole thing from the beginning because I didn't even know what format or how does that work. So last uh, summer, I spent a lot of time just watching YouTube videos and tutorials on how do you actually make a podcast. And then I started in August, September, and I have now 40 episodes And they are each one different. So sometimes it's a solo podcast where I just talk about history And then sometimes, most of the time, I interview people. Uh, and many times, I also take my microphone with me and I go somewhere. This is what I like most. So I do like a, a city tour or in a village where there is a... Like, for example, there's a, a village in, uh, in Palestine. It's called Batir. And it's UNESCO World Heritage. And uh, no, not a lot of people know about it, but it's not... No, It is not UNESCO World Heritage for no reason. There is a lot of things to see there. So I go and then I take the microphone and I, uh, we talk about the water because it is a place where there is a spring. And since many, many years, the Palestinians, since thousands of years, they have been leading the water of that spring through the fields in a special system where 
all the eight families of Batir get water from that same spring. That's why they say a weekday in Batir has eight days mm. because each, each family has it for one day. And then I hold my microphone close to the water and you can hear the water going. So it is kind of a, tr it's interesting for people who like travel podcasts. And in the same time, I have a lot of people who've been to Palestine and just want to, to know more about the cultural heritage, about the history, the flora, fauna, the food, the music, and also Palestinians in the diaspora. A lot of Palestinians who live abroad and they're most of them, Most of them, they have a tradition uh, of uh, being a refugee because their families were expelled in 1948. And they have never, ever been here because they are not allowed by the Israeli restrictions to come here. So they learn about their culture and their land through the podcast. Yes, yes. And I also saw you were on 18th, uh, place 18th on a place, no? Uh, 20 best podcasts from Palestine. Your podcast is listed there, right? Yeah. So Because I, yeah, I, I got an email from this lady who uh, ranks things and then puts it on her website. And she said uh, that, yeah, you've been ranked in the top 20 of podcasts about Palestine. I didn't even know there were that many podcasts about Palestine and it made me very happy because I, what I really want to do with my podcast is put Palestine on the map. Because many people, they don't even think that Palestine is a place where you can travel. They only know it from the news, like what we heard in the last weeks, yeah. when it talks about conflict and war and the, uh, rockets and bombs. Yeah. And they don't realize that Pal what Palestine is, that it is a country with a very, very long history and tradition and that it is possible to visit it. And it's not that scary. I mean, as a foreign visitor, you are not the target for anybody And uh, I think Palestinians deserve tourism just as much as Israelis do. Yes. One of my best friends, she's Palestinian. She grew up in Germany and she had these posters, uh, two posters, and they say, visit Palestine. And she always had them. And yeah. I have the same poster, uh, not here, but in, uh, in Holland, where I still have a, a home. And um, this poster, actually, it's very interesting. It dates from the 1930s. And this is from before the creation of the state of Israel. And it was actually a poster that the Zionist movement made to convince Jewish people to go and visit Palestine. Oh, and now okay. I sometimes use it when people say, you know, there are people, they say it's a myth that there was never Palestine before. They say that uh, it's a, an invention. But there are these posters, there are coins, there, are, uh, there were banks Palestine was a, maybe not a state the way that we look at states yeah. today because that concept of national states is very new. Yeah. But it was since the fifth century before Christ, a Greek, by the way, writer called, and I, I may pronounce it wrongly, so you may have to correct me, Herodotus. This is, he already wrote 500 years before Christ. He called the land Palestine. And since then, the Romans, the Byzantines, the Mamluks, the Ottomans, they've always referred to it as Palestine until the state of Israel was created in 1948. And now people seem to be a bit scared to call it Palestine because they think it's a political statement. Well, actually, it only became weird after uh, Israel decided to create itself on the land of Palestine. So with my podcast, I'm trying to really revive the um, 
identity, I think, of Palestine. Yes, yes. I yeah, I've I've listened to quite a few of your episodes, and also for Easter, we were with my partner listening to the episode, and I really like because what you said earlier, you're taking us with you. You're not just in your house, but you're really talking to people. It's political, it's nature, it's culture, it's so many things. And you hear the sounds from the church and from the environment. And that's, that's really beautiful. For us, it was super special because nice. Easter for me is very important. And now with the pandemic, you know, being abroad away from my family. Yeah. And, and your podcast really created a very beautiful atmosphere that uh, Sunday evening. <laughs> Nice to hear. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I had yes, that yes. Christmas because Christmas in Bethlehem is very special. And for us, it was also very sad that there were no tourists coming to Palestine for the Christmas. So I did a podcast for other people who were not able to come and to hear the sounds. But in the same time, it was also a little bit for the Palestinians to, to tell the world that, oh, we are missing you. We Christmas is not the same without you. Mm. Oh, and we hope that when people hear these episodes, that they will be inspired at some point when the world is open again, that they will come. Yes, yes. I see many people writing, I, well, we miss you or we miss this place. And yes, yes, yes. Let us talk about life in Palestine. Give the audience an idea about your daily reality and maybe also other Palestinian people's reality. I mean, we don't want to generalize, but you know why I'm asking this question. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's there is a lot of things to, to say about that. So let's start with my personal experience because um, um, otherwise <laughs> I will uh, go on and on. My personal uh, life here is, is between the green line, as they call it, which is the official demarcation line that was drawn in 1948 when Israel was created as the let's say, border, even though it's not officially a border, between Israel and the West Bank. And the West Bank is that area to the west of the River Jordan. Because people always ask me, how is it called the West Bank when it's on the east of Israel? That's because it's the West Bank of the River Jordan. And so that part became under Jordanian control in 1948. And my Family-in-law, my uh, I live with my family-in-law, by the way. This is uh, very normal here that the wife moves into the house of the, of the husband. And so my mother and father-in-law live upstairs and we live downstairs. And thanks God, I have a very nice family-in-law. So the house of my family-in-law is on the Jordanian side of the demarcation line, while Israel, quite recently in 2002, build a wall. I think everybody knows about the wall that Israel built. And they did not build that wall on the green line, on the border. They built it more towards the east. That means that our house is between the border and the wall. And what does that mean for us? It means that our village called Beit Safafa is now part of Jerusalem. So it's considered a part of greater Jerusalem as a suburb of the city while the village life is still visible here. I mean, if I go out in the street, I still feel myself living in a town, in a, in a village, but it is now under the municipality of Jerusalem. Our life is much more related to Bethlehem because we are closer to Bethlehem than to Jerusalem city. And um, we have a cafe and a bar in Bethlehem and my children go to school also in Bethlehem. And in order to go there, we have to go to the other side of the wall. 
And in order to reach there, you have to go through a military checkpoint. And there are several of these military checkpoints. One of them gives direct access from um, our village. It's just There's just like one road and then you reach the wall and then there is the checkpoint and you are immediately in Bethlehem. This checkpoint has been closed since September last year. They closed it during one of the COVID lockdowns and they never opened it again. It's the checkpoint that we use with our cars. If we come from Jerusalem, we are allowed to go in. And it's uh, what, where the tourist buses used to enter, but there's no more tourist buses. So they kept it closed. And Palestinians who are from the other side, from Bethlehem, they are only allowed to go to Jerusalem on foot if they have a permit. And there is about 1% of the Palestinians from Bethlehem who actually gets such a permit, which is when they, for example, have to go to a hospital and they ask for a permit or they pay money for a work per permit so that they can work usually in construction on the Jerusalem side. So this checkpoint already it's closed. That means that we have two other checkpoints that we can choose from now. And these are checkpoints that are used by Israeli settlers. And what are Israeli settlers? Those are Israeli citizens that live in the West Bank. And that means that they are living on the land of Palestinians that has been taken from them and where they started building towns and cities. And this is against international law, but it's still happening. And so we are kind of crossing the checkpoint with those settlers. And on the checkpoint, they, they look at you in the car. Actually, going into the area, it's not so much, but going back towards Jerusalem. And this is where my children already started to understand the concept of white privilege, because they say, hey, mom, why do the soldiers not stop our car when you are driving it? But why do they stop it when my my dad is driving it or my grandfather, because sometimes my uh, father-in-law picks them up from school. So I have already to explain them that because the soldier sees somebody who looks Arab on the steering of the wheel, they will stop the car and ask to show the identity card. Now, my, now my daughter was confused because that made her think that we were Jewish because she knew that the Jews can like travel through these checkpoints easily. So I tell my daughter, your grandparents are uh, Muslims and they are Palestinians. And what happened was that they, in 1948, they did not leave Beit Safafa. They actually stayed. And that means that they were kind of granted residency in Israel. And this is important, I think, for people to understand is that right now we have about 2 million Palestinians who live in Israel and we have about 2 million Palestinians that live in the West Bank and about another 2 million that live in the Gaza Strip. And by Israel, these are kind of considered different people. So the Palestinians in Gaza are treated differently. Uh, I think most people know that they have been under a blockade since the last 15 years. And then the Palestinians in Israel, uh, they are called Arab Israelis. So they are not referred to by their Palestinian identity, but they are called Arabs as if it's like calling you and me Europeans, you know, yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. say, okay, you can live wherever in the European Union. Cause that's yeah. the idea is that if you're an Arab, just, you can just live in any Arab country. You, yeah. you don't have an identity and a history connected to this land. And then you have the Palestinians in the West bank. And my family-in-law is a fourth cate category. And this category 
is not citizen of the state of Israel. So that means they are only residents. So when when we went in Utrecht to the municipality to register our wedding certificate, my husband came with a Jordanian passport that doesn't give him citizenship in Jordan, but it was a travel document that was given to the Palestinians in Jerusalem. He came with his Israeli travel document, which is like a laissez-passer, that he uses to apply for visa, but that doesn't give him citizenship in Israel. And he came with his Jerusalem ID card that gives him residency in the city of Jerusalem, but that can be revoked from him if he can't prove that he's actually living in Jerusalem. So if we went to live in Holland for a few years, they will revoke our residency. So that's why I had my children also here, because I knew if I have my children in Holland, I will not be able to give them this residency or it's mm. going to be really hard. So my husband in Holland, he is registered as stateless because he, 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 my husband does not have a citizenship. He doesn't really have a nationality. My kids got the Dutch passport, so they have Dutch citizenship and they have this ID number that they are Jerusalemites. This is what we call the, the Palestinians in Jerusalem. We call them Jerusalemites. And that also makes that we can never even consider living in Bethlehem because if we live in Bethlehem, the same thing will happen. They will realize that, oh, you're not living in Jerusalem, so we will take your residency. And this is the Let's say this is in small, what is happening in big is they are trying for Jerusalem to bring in more and more Jewish people and to get rid of the Christian and Muslim Palestinians. And the same thing has been happening since 1948 all over the country. And this is what we are seeing now. Why, why, why was everything happening the last weeks is because in this part of Jerusalem called Sheikh Jarrah, There were 28 families that were being evicted from their homes because Jewish settler organizations, very well-sponsored organizations, started court cases against these families saying, claiming that the land on which their homes were built were actually for people of Jewish descent. And so they used a law that is very interesting, applies only to Jewish Israeli citizens. So if a Palestinian comes and says, well, That was my land before 1948, before you created your state and you took it from me. He cannot use the same law. That's why a lot of people are calling this apartheid, because you have two people living in the same state. And for some people, certain laws are uh, liable and for others are not. And so in Sheikh Jarrah, people were protesting against this, um, uh, what they find injustice is that They these houses were built in the 1950s by the United Nations for Palestinian refugees. And now they are almost about to lose their homes. And the same is happening in other parts of Jerusalem, in Silwan, for example. Today, there was a big protest also outside the court because about 200 Palestinian families are about to, to lose their homes. And um, we see that since 1948, Israel has been trying to get more and more Jewish people to come and more and more uh, Palestinian people to leave. And if, for example, Stella, if you found out today that you were Jewish, you can go to an agency and within a few weeks time, you will have an Israeli passport. They will give you the chance to learn Hebrew. You can live somewhere for very cheap. They'll help you with a job and you can come and live here. 
But if you're a Palestinian and your grandfather was displaced, ethnically cleansed from this land, you will not even have the chance to come and visit the town that your grandfather was from and that you would have had lands and property because that's how things used to be from father to son or from father to daughter. So this is the unfairness that has been happening since 48. And that's why people now, they stood up and they united against this injustice. Yes, yes. You covered already so many things. Um, Mm. And yeah, it's, I I think the audience will really appreciate that you, that you share these things with us. I know from my Palestinian friends who live abroad, some of them have never been to Palestine, some maybe once. And there are a lot of myths. I think when I grew up in Holland and I went to school, I even studied history. We didn't learn uh, what happened here for real. Actually, to be honest, in the Netherlands, we didn't even also learn about our own our own colonial history. Yeah. I don't that's, remember. Yeah. 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 Talking about South Africa, yeah. apartheid, about yeah. slave trade, about Indonesia. It's part of the history that people maybe prefer to, you know, not talk about. It's not but a that's, nice. But that's a very European thing that, yeah, we don't talk about the colonialist past. There's a book by Gloria Wecker. She wrote the book White Innocence. And uh, mm. she talks about it. I haven't finished it yet, but um, yeah, she refers exactly to what you just said. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that one of the reasons, for example, that America is so supportive of Israel is because America itself has a similar history. European people came to a land where they either killed the native people or put them in reserves and then they took over and they even brought in black people to work as slaves on the plantations. And we see the same thing happened here. A group of white people came from Europe and started to colonize the land. And I don't know if you learned this myth, but there was a land without people. For for people people without without a land. land. Yeah. And this is a big myth because this land was not without people. This land has always been inhabited. And if you, I don't know, I don't even like now that I'm studying history uh, at the Bible College for this tour guide program and how much history this place has had. And also very interesting how many empires there have been at least 23 empires ruling over this land before Israel came as a new state. And this is because Palestine is a land bridge between different continents. So it connects the European continent, Asian continent, and African continent. If you rule this part of the world, at least in the past, now we have airplanes, it's a little bit different. But in the past, if you ruled this area, then you ruled all the trade routes. And that was super important for becoming a rich, powerful empire. So, but I have to say the big difference is that when all these other empires ruled. There were people living here of all religions and different backgrounds, and they lived here quite peacefully. Even when there was Muslim rule, they they respected the Christians and the Jews. Uh, Maybe the Crusaders were actually, honestly speaking, again, eh, Europeans, they were the ones who were quite rough. Even they were really rough with the Christians who lived here. What I said, they were the first Christians descendants of the first followers of Jesus. And when they came here, they didn't respect them for their religion. They were just like, oh, they're all Arabs and and they're all people that we don't need. Um, So the Crusaders were not a good example. 
But otherwise, people have lived here, especially under the Ottoman Empire, which was the last 400 years before now. People lived together peacefully. And what happened was that when the Zionist movement came and said, we want this land just for one kind of people. We are not here to come and live with you. We are coming here to replace you. That's when it went wrong. So instead of saying a land without people for people without land, we should say they want the land without the people. If if there's anything you want to take away from this podcast episode and you say, oh, it's so complicated, this history of Israel-Palestine, and it's such a long-lasting conflict and it's a religious conflict. No, it's not religious conflict. It is not very long-lasting. It's maybe less than 100 years old, really. And the core of, I always say it's like an onion. Eh? You're sort of unpeeling an onion. There are different layers. There's, of course, the Holocaust that happened. And that makes a lot of people feel very ashamed of what happened to the Jewish people. And they should feel very ashamed of it. And so you feel like you want to give Jewish people a place where they live peacefully and safely. But in the same time, that cannot be at the cost of another people. Uh, there are the layers of the religion, how to understand that religion is not the cause, but it's being used, let's say, or abused by some people to justify what is happening. But the core of the onion is colonialism, is we want the land without the native people. And there is enough proof over the last decades to see that. And I see it still happening under my own eyes. I see people being evicted from their homes. Look. Uh, Stella, there is a village right next to our village that is completely surrounded by the wall. Part of the wall is not a concrete wall. It's a fence. And there are two checkpoints. And in order to go into the village, you can only be from the village. They don't allow anybody else, which means if you are ordering, let's say, a big fridge from the town, the next door town, the person with the big truck to bring you the fridge cannot enter the village. Or if you want to give birth, you're a woman, you are, you know, you are expecting to give birth, you will get out of the town because the ambulance is not allowed to get into the town. Let's say something happens. If you go to university in Bethlehem and you find your future wife, she is not allowed to come and live with you in the village. So what do you do? You go out of the town and live in Bethlehem. You rent an apartment. So this town that had maybe 2,500 people is slowly dying because the next generation is moving out. This is also ethnic cleansing. It's not at gunpoint that people are leaving, but it is making the life so difficult and impossible that people voluntarily, and I do quotation marks here, voluntarily are leaving because they have no future. And this is, I see it. I 10 years ago, I came here uh, for the first time, 12 years ago, and I see the settlement close to our home growing from one hilltop. It's now two hilltops, and they are progressing with this project. And this is what is happening in uh, Palestine. And unfortunately, what we often hear in the news is there are rockets being shot by terrorists from Gaza without the context of why are these people shooting rockets? Actually, just one thing. There's a very interesting documentary. It's called Occupation 101. Um, it's about Israel-Palestine. And they really start with what you just said. Jewish people, Muslim people, Christian people living together peacefully. 
because we all know it's the birthplace of the three monotheistic religions. Everything started there. And that documentary, I find it really amazing. And uh, it really starts with this. So it really exemplifies this. Um, yeah, I remember seeing it. Yeah, it's uh, definitely it's, really, it's a little bit older, but uh, I think it's still good if somebody wants to history never learn. Changed. Yeah. yeah, so the yeah. history is still the same. Yeah. And Crystal, do you see, because I know there are, for instance, organizations like Beth Salem, I hope I pronounce it well, um, that they make videos of human rights abuses and the settler colonialism and everything that is happening. Do you see Israeli people and Palestinian people coming together and working towards a solution? Because that also, we rarely see it. I watched a short documentary today about two Israeli a brother and a sister who refused to join the army. And um, they are activists and um, they work together with Palestinians to find a solution. And I mean, there, there are lots of examples, but what can you share yeah. with us? You are there on the ground. Yeah. Um, the number of Israelis that are really standing up for Palestinian rights is very, very little. But there are definitely initiatives that are worth being mentioned. Um, and first of all, I think it's very important for people to understand that there is a difference between being Jewish and being Israeli and yeah. being Zionist. Yeah. Yeah. So if you Thanks are Israeli, for yeah. yeah, you are a um, citizen of the state of Israel. That's be being Israeli. And so you can be an Israeli with a Jewish background, with a Christian background, with a Muslim background. In Israel, they do actually write that you cannot believe, like in other countries. Imagine that you were given a Dutch passport and it says Dutch Christian or Dutch Muslim. No, you are Dutch and your religion is your private business. Here in Israel, when my children were born, they were on their birth certificate written they are Muslim because my family-in-law is technically Muslim. So the um, uh, Israeli, it means citizenship. Jewish, it's a religion. But in the course of time, Judaism or being Jew has become something like a national identity. Yeah. So right now you can be called Jewish because your mom is Jewish, but actually you yourself may not be at all a religious person. But because your mom is Jewish, you are Jewish. So it became from a religion, it became more like a national identity. Ethnicity. And Zionism is the problem. The yeah. problem is not with Israelis or with um, Jews. The problem is with the ideology behind uh, all of what's happening. And this is Zionism. And this is where uh, they believe that this land is only for the Jewish people and that there is no place for other people who are not uh, Jewish. So this is important to understand. There, It's very hard for an Israeli Jewish person to not serve in the army because it means that you will not have a lot of benefits later. There are many jobs and yeah. studies you won't be able to do. So it is really difficult to make... You will go to thing. jail like this person. She was in jail actually for quite yeah. a while. Military yeah. prison. Yeah. And, they, and I don't think they treat you very nice way if you are uh, refusing the army. So it's very hard Yeah, there is a group of people that are called Breaking the Silence. They are soldiers that served in the army and that open up and tell about their time in the army. And they basically say, while the world says that Israel has the most moral army in the world, you know how they always um, show themselves as uh, being, uh, if you are vegan, for example, and you serve in the army, they'll give you vegan boots and they'll give you vegan food. So to make okay. you look nice more human or humane or I don't know like uh, 
animal rights here are more a thing than human rights. So, yeah, they show themselves as being moral. But if you hear the stories of these uh, soldiers that speak up about their experiences, it's quite, quite uh, harsh, really. And um, uh, I think that's very important because at least the world should know what is happening in the territories and what is happening on the, on the ground. There are definitely, I, I would say, um, many Israeli academics who have started to spoke to speak up. For example, there is Ilan Pape. Yeah, I know him. Wants to read more. Yeah, I read his book, book, "The Ethnic Cleansing of Palestine," and my one of my best friends. She's doing her PhD with him, actually. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah he's in England, right? In Exeter. Yeah, he's in the UK in Exeter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he had access to the archives, to the military archives. Actually, by now they closed the archives again. But when they were open, he went. He studied everything, and he he's the one who wrote the book that really describes that that 1948 wasn't a war, like a war between two parties that were equal in uh, in power. It was a very well set up plan to get all those Palestinians out of Palestine. And they did it in a very smart way by attacking the villages from three sides, leaving one side open to the closest border so that when the people fled from their village, they will they will flee over the border towards Lebanon, towards Jordan, Jordan, Syria, Egypt. And that is how they managed to depopulate large amount of towns and villages. And um, and he describes that very well. And there are several other uh, historians and people who are more highly educated, like academics, who are opening up about the, the reality. There are also some initiatives like the Combatants for Peace and some other initiatives where Israeli and Palestinians work together. But this is not always easy, you know, because in the end, um, I think for most Palestinians, they have a few demands, let's say, or conditions. Mm -hmm. And not for every Israeli, it's easy to, to accept these. Why? Because these, it would mean that you will have to give up some of your privileges as an Israeli if you want equal rights for everybody. So the Palestinians say... We want, first of all, to end the military occupation. I think most Israelis can agree with that because this military occupation has been going on since 1967 and it's cost a lot of money and it costs a lot of oppression and negative image also for Israel. But then they want also equality for all the people inside Israel, the Arabs, as they call them, the Palestinians in Israel, to be equal with the Jews. Now, there is already some friction because that doesn't feel easy for Israeli Jews because they say, yeah, we don't want them to be a majority. So we don't want them to be in certain positions. And, uh, and of course, the Palestinians are demanding their rights, which are international uh, approved rights in international law, to at least give the refugees the right yeah, to, to return or compensation. This problem, this is... Uh, by the way, I never call it a conflict because it's not a conflict. It's a colonization. Uh, but this uh, will never uh, find a solution unless they find a solution for the millions. I'm talking millions of Palestinians. Seven, right? The, seven million Palestinians in the diaspora. These are three, four generations of people who are struggling and suffering 
until today, living in refugee camps in some of these countries like Lebanon, Syria, and Jordan, they don't also have uh, civil rights. So you cannot just forget about these people. And this is what the first Zionists thought. They thought, ah, the old will die and the young will forget. And that didn't happen. And you know why? Because Palestinians are rooted in their land, just like olive trees are rooted in their land. They love their land. And it's not a nationalistic love. It's not like this is our land and we are better and we don't want anybody else. Palestinians in the history, if you read their history, they've always accepted people, traders, religious people, missionaries, pilgrims. If you are in Palestine now, you will see that you cannot say Palestinians look like this or like that. You have blonde Palestinians, you have red-haired Palestinians, people who are very black, 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 like really they are, they have their origins in Chad and in Niger, and they came here on pilgrimage to, to the Al-Aqsa Mosque, and they stayed, and they got married, and they lived. There's a whole quarter in the old city of Jerusalem with black people. It's called the Afro-Palestinian community. And it's very, very multicultural, Palestine, because of all these intermix relations that were there. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, I feel that the solution for Palestine would be to have one country with a constitution, because Israel does not have a constitution, because what is the first rule in the constitution? Equal rights. And Israel never wanted equal rights for all the people. So they just don't have a constitution. There should be a country with a constitution that says everybody is equal. There is justice for everyone. And I bet you that then people, maybe it takes some generations to get over pain and hurt, but people can live here together as they have always done in history. Yeah. Thank you, Crystal, for sharing so much about Palestine with us. Um, Israel, Palestine, uh, what, what is going on on the ground, the history? This has been, uh, yeah, thank you for that. And I want to ask you now something. I don't know if it's different, depends on your answer. But um, yeah, there are certain questions that I always ask my listeners. And I want to ask you about your, is there a favorite book, uh, a piece of art, a poem, a song, or any other piece of art that, that you really like and that you want to share with us? Yeah, I I will stay in the in the same theme. I think I that thought is, so. Uh, That's why I said yeah, maybe it's still the same theme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is a a Palestinian uh, poet. His name is Mahmoud Darwish. Yeah, I like famous. him a lot. And his poetry, thanks God, is also translated now to English and even uh, to to Dutch and many other languages. Uh, because yeah, my Arabic still not really so strong to understand everything. Uh, but he uh, wrote a poem, and um, I will tell you the poem, because it it is something that Palestinians relate to a lot, but it's also something that I relate to as a migrant coming from Holland and living here. And it goes like this. I am from there. I am from here. I am not there, and I am not here. I have two names which meet and part. And I have two languages. I forget which of them I dream in. And I think you can relate to this too. Yeah, right? it's beautiful. Very beautiful. Yes, yes. 
We could actually finish right now the episode. <laughs> you did it so perfectly, but I still have more questions. <laughs> Maybe you swap around <laughs> the question. Yeah. Well, yeah, I really like Mahmoud Darwish. I've read a few things from him, not that much, but actually, yeah, I've read Memory for Forgetfulness, one of his books. Yes, and that's yeah, beautiful also, what you just read. You know, there's also Marcel Khalifa. He's a yeah. musician. And I went to his concert of- in London. Oh, well, I'm jealous. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the song, like this, his songs are actually poetry by Mahmoud Darwish. And he has this song called Rita. And I just learned that in the, in the college when I was studying that Mahmoud wrote about Rita when he was living in Haifa, and Haifa is a mixed city between Palestinian uh, and uh, Israeli, and he fell in love with Rita, and she was a Jewish woman. And so there is a song that says, between Rita and my eyes, there is a gun. And it was a strong statement because he knew that he was so in love with this woman, but he will never be able to marry her because of this conflict as we call it because of the situation and then he has this poem where he says she says when are we gonna meet and i say after a year and a war and she says when does the war end and i say the time we meet wow yeah i mean people here any any poet anybody who writes literature any musician Everybody is inspired by the situation, by either their love for the land, their loss of cultural heritage, or their connection to the heritage. I did a, a podcast episode about Depka dance, and oh, I yeah. learned that the Depka, when they dance, they stamp on the floor. And this was something related to an old tradition where when they made mud bricks, they used to stamp to mix the mud with the hay And so they were kind of dancing and this connection to the land where you stamp your feet on the soil is also a very important part of the Palestinian identity. So that's something I really want my children to learn to learn to dance Depka. Oh, they will for sure. <laughs> I don't think you have to worry about it. And Crystal, who has been your soul? Who has inspired you? My inspiration mainly from women in general and especially women who stood up for rights their own rights and rights of, for others human rights without the fear of being punished for it mm. i remember in my early 20s seeing some of women uh, in demonstrations and protests doing things that they knew they could be arrested for And they were not afraid because they knew they were on the right side of history. And they knew that what I am doing may be considered uh, wrong or a crime by, by people of power. But I know that I'm standing up for the people who need me to stand up for them. And that always been an inspiration for me. And I think that I was blessed with a strong self-confidence through my mom, I have to say. So my mom herself wasn't a person who was very politically involved or socially engaged, but because my mom, and this is what I always want to tell every mom who's listening, how important to give your children several compliments a day to make them feel that they have value, that they are worth, that they can do something. And also to ask your child once in a while, are you proud of yourself? 
after they did something because I learned that I can be proud of myself and I do have a good self-confidence and that makes it easier to go through life, to deal with difficulties and to live in such a hard place where I live right now. It's because I know that my being here can actually make a difference and whatever happens to me, I don't want to be afraid of anything. Hmm. So good. So good. And to whom do you want to pass the salt and what do you want to tell them? I mean, you already told us a lot. I don't know. What else? <laughs> tell us more. <laughs> Look, I want to, for sure, when you pass on the salt, I think you should do it to a next generation. Yeah. It's not something, as, especially in the situation that I live in right now, is not something to... Uh, to think too much about people my own age, even though I hope always to inspire other people and as much as I can be inspired by others. But I, I'm not only thinking about my own children. I think about all the children of Palestine whom are sometimes a bit disconnected from their Palestinian identity and their culture, uh, their heritage. Because if you go to the schools here, the curriculum that is being used was a curriculum originally by the Jordanians and then by the Palestinians, but it is very much imposed on them to follow the Israeli narrative. They are very afraid to, to really tell the truth because of Israeli oppression. So a lot of the kids here don't really know their own history. They don't feel proud. You know, they feel oppressed. They see that Israel is the big guy. They are the winners and they feel like they are the losers. And what I really want to pass on to them is that you can be proud of your history and your identity because you are those people that lived here for centuries and centuries. You took from the land, you took from the religion, you took from the history and all of that identity, that DNA is inside of you. You just need to explore it. So my hope is that besides bringing a lot of tourists to Palestine, to raise awareness, to teach them the beauty and to, to, to get that kind of experience for them is to do the same thing for the people here and is to open their eyes for their own beautiful history. Yes, wonderful. Yes, one of the big things from my podcast is also the next generation or new generation, elevating a new generation, you know, that is anti-racist, feminist, stands in solidarity with each other. Yeah. So that's yeah, yeah. wonderful. Yeah, we need that. We need yes. this development. Yeah, we yes. need to learn from our mistakes and give on to the next generation to be better people. Yeah. Do you have a question for me? Well, Stella, have you ever been to, to Palestine or are, would you be interested to Palestine? Because you said that you have Palestinian friends. Did you ever make it here or are you planning to? Yeah, I would love to in the future. I have not been to Palestine. I've been to other countries in the Middle East, but not to Palestine. No, I haven't. If you came here, what, what do you think you would want to visit? What do you know here? I would definitely like to visit Bethlehem, Nazareth, Jerusalem. Um, and I'm somebody, when, when I go to a place, of course, I care about visiting different cities and locations. But what I care the most about are the people. So... If I travel somewhere, I want to hang out with the locals. I want to, I don't know, go to the restaurants where the locals go, talk to them. I am super interested in history, politics, culture. So for me, yeah, of course, there are a few things that I want to see, but it's 
much more about immersing myself into the into the into the place the smell um go to the market the foods um i love being with older people listening to their stories you know so this is something that yeah i'm i'm very much interested in because this is how you get to know a place through yeah. its people and it's also people. very easy when you go to palestine you are immediately in the streets you are invited by people to come and drink coffee they are so happy to see foreigners And so they are really inviting. I remember the first times I came, I literally never had to go to a restaurant or cook my own food because every night I had an invitation and then you go there and then they have a lot of people around and then there's always a cousin or a neighbor who is inviting you for the next evening. So, and I love Palestinian food. It's really, they have a really great cuisine. So it is so easy to meet people. And, you know, they just tell you, oh, we're going to a party or to a festival or there's a museum. Just jump in the car and you just go with the flow. And yeah, and you never know where you will end up. And this is also the daily life here. I do not know anymore how to use an agenda because people here, they, they yeah. live day by day. So it's going to be interesting coming back to Holland in the summer. I will have to make appointments with my own friends. <laughs> yeah, that's the other extreme here. I remember when I asked you to, to make an appointment for the podcast, you said, oh, we are not planning so much ahead. Message me next week. Yeah. To me, fine, because I'm Greek. So I, I was like, that's really cool, actually. Yes. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, I don't know anymore how to think beyond like uh, five days. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's good. That's good. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. This has been great. I mean, I already loved your aura just from your photos and from your podcast, but now you just, yeah, that was another level today, really speaking to you face to face. You have such a beautiful spirit. Um, thank you, Stella. I really enjoyed it also to be with you on your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. And at the end, I always honor a woman. So today I want to honor Suhir Hamad. Um, she's a Palestinian-American poet, author, and political activist who was born in Jordan to Palestinian refugee parents, and she immigrated with her family to Brooklyn when she was five years old. She's the author of Breaking Poems. She has been on Russell Simmons' uh, Deaf Poetry Jam. And I want to read an, a part of her po a poem of hers that she wrote uh, because of 9-11, but it's, uh, yeah. I will just read it and I think everybody will understand why I'm, I'm reading this. There is life here. Anyone hearing this is breathing, maybe hurting, but breathing for sure. And if there is any light to come, it will shine from the eyes of those who look for peace and justice. After the rubble and rhetoric are cleared and the phoenix has risen, a firm life. A firm life. We got to carry each other now. You are either with life or against it. A firm life yeah beautiful we teach life sir eh? this is uh what that's her yeah do. yeah that's her yeah uh, so yes thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us i will of course share all your information with my audience thank you to everyone for listening and if you have been enjoying the show please consider rating it on apple podcast and if you enjoyed this episode it would also be great if you could share it on your social media um, because that really does help bring the show to new listeners and crystal shared so much knowledge so yes thank you so much thank you thank you, thank you. and maybe we will see each other in holland yes <laughs> yeah. i hope so something that is loved 
is never lost. I'm Stella Sagliari and this is Salt the Podcast. Salt the Podcast.